Hi, this is John. And today on Theocast, we are talking about triumphalism, or what is also known as the victorious Christian life. We're always encouraged by modern evangelicalism that there should be an upward trajectory to our Christian life, that we should be overcoming sin and gaining new levels of righteousness as we grow year after year. And yet that is not the experience of many Christians. They feel defeated, they lack assurance, they do not have joy. And we are here to bring some relief, to show you from Scripture what the Christian life should be and how triumphalism and the victorious Christian life is a distraction and actually robs us of the true hope and assurance we should have. We hope you enjoy. A simple way for you to help support Theocast and join the Reformation is by shopping at Amazon. That's right. Everything that you purchase there, they will take a percentage of it and donate it to our ministry. All you have to do is go to smile.amazon.com and then search for Theocast, Inc., and choose us as the supporting donation. To learn more about this and other ways of supporting us, you can go to theocast.org slash give. Welcome to Theocast, encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ conversations about the Christian life from a Reformed perspective. Our hosts today are Justin Perdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina, Jimmy Bueller, pastor of Christ Community Church in Wilmer, Minnesota, and I'm John Moffat, pastor of Grace Reformed Church in Spring Hill, Tennessee. Gentlemen, it is truly good to see your faces. It's good to be uh, here recording once again. We have had a fun, lively conversation. I have laughed until tears this morning. through our time of uh pre-shows <laughs> as always but, uh, as always but justin you've got a couple of uh updates for us what's uh, what's going on in the theocast world a couple of things that we're excited about here at theocast the first being a new podcast offering that is coming out soon or might already be out by the time you're hearing this episode it's called ask theocast where the three of us will be answering questions that have been submitted by listeners through various mediums, um, maybe voicemails or emails or, or various kinds of correspondence. And we'll also be tackling some of the, the general questions that we get on a regular basis. For example, right. you know, things like what is covenant theology? What is the redemptive historical framework of scripture? What do we mean when we say that we're sinner saints? I mean, all of these kinds of things. What are the uses of the law? We're going to try to answer things like that in a three to five minute format. And we hope that those are helpful to people and and can shed some light on some of these really big topics that that we often discuss on Theocast and don't always have time to unpack during the regular episodes. The other thing that we're super pumped about is another book, another primer that will be coming out, we hope, even this summer, and that's a primer on assurance. The question and the issue of assurance is something that we discuss a lot, and that's appropriate because many people have rightly said that the Reformation was the recovery of the biblical doctrine of assurance. And so we have been working on and editing a primer for your consumption that we hope will be of great encouragement to you. And essentially what it is, is taking a a podcast that we did recently on assurance and turning that into a a primer. So it's going to be a conversation on assurance amongst the three of us. And so look for that resource to be coming out over the summer. And we hope this is something that we not only can point people to and point people back to over and over again, but we hope that you'll be able to give it out, uh, read it yourself, and then give it out to others so that we can continue to help people rest in Jesus Christ. So those are a couple of things going on in the Theocast world that we are excited for. We hope that you're excited for those as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, we're hoping the the primers are a way for you to introduce people to rest in Christ. So we figured this this would be helpful. And just to add on to what Justin said, if you want to learn more about Ask Theocast or have a question, just go to asktheocast.com and you can get the podcast feed there. You can also send us a voicemail or an email. So, yeah, great. There we go. Jimmy, what are we talking about today? Today's a fun one. So this is going to, I can already feel it. it's going to be a little lively. So bring <laughs> you us can feel in. It in, your bones. in the air. Feel it. Feel it I would absolutely love to. So today, gentlemen, we are talking about the idea of triumphalism, or you could also call it the victorious Christian life. And in a 10,000 or perhaps even 30,000 foot view of things, what we mean by that is as we think about the Christian life, the, the daily grind, the ins and outs, that if we were to take a step back and look at ourselves, we would always see this onward and upward trajectory that even though we might sin and struggle a little bit each day, we can look to the confidence we have in ourselves that we are struggling less than we did perhaps even a year ago or two years ago or five years ago. And it's really this idea that there's a heavy emphasis on victory in the Christian life. There's a heavy emphasis on a, a trajectory of goodness or holiness. And before we kind of even begin to talk about this idea and perhaps rip it apart, uh, we want to be clear from the get-go that we do believe here at Theocast that we are sanctified in this life, that as we continually look to Christ in faith, that we do believe that God uses means to make us more like Jesus. Uh, and so really, this is going to be a nuanced conversation as we look at some of these themes. And so what I want to do is just kind of throw it out to you guys and see if you want to help flesh out this definition of what do we mean by triumphalism or perhaps the victorious Christian life. Hmm. Yeah, this is something that has been a part of Theocast from day one, is something that I can remember when I became confessional, I started to understand covenant theology, understand saint-sinner realities, that sin is a state versus uh, an action. And all of this began to inform my understanding of communicating the gospel and the Christian life to people. And what I had received my entire life was this onward, upward, that I should be triumphing and I, I'm, I am pressing myself towards this progression. And every sermon and every book um, the way in which I, I approached my Bible reading, the way in which I approached prayer or mortification of sin, it was always making sure that I was uh, you know, almost adding to the spiritual muscle that I had, the, the spiritual agility that I had to make sure that I could become a better uh, spiritual athlete in some ways so that I could have victory, victory over sin, victory over bad habits. So everything, sermons were seven ways for this and five ways for this and three ways for that. And then books that what I would read are, you know, nine ways for this or how to overcome this and that. And what ended up happening is you, you have two options. You can, you can take these small victories that you do find, but you have to neglect the reality of your nature where you ignore the inward right. battle and struggle. And when someone asks you, how are you doing? Because in a triumphalism culture and a victorious Christian life culture to admit you're not progressing or to admit that you aren't overcoming is failure. 
And so you don't it's confess It's the great sin. failure. Yeah, you don't confess sin. You don't confess that you struggle with some kind of an addiction or that you are depressed. People in, we just did a podcast on depression. People who are depressed are crushed or who suffer from anxiety are crushed underneath the weight of triumphalism. Yeah. It's a bitter pill. Absolutely. Uh, there's a number of observations that could be made out of the gate here to pick up on what you're talking about, John. I think a couple of things that characterize this triumphalistic perspective, this onward and upward, clean, linear progression stuff, is that it it necessarily means that we are always trying to quantify everything that's going on in our spiritual lives. And so it, it, it we're always measuring certain things. We're generally speaking, we're measuring two or three things. One, we're measuring how well we're doing at overcoming sin. So how are we doing at overcoming vice? And am I doing better than I was? What's the trajectory there? We think about how we're doing with respect to our disciplines. And am I more disciplined? Am I doing better? Am I more consistent in these various things? And the other thing that I might add in there too, is we will often try to quantify our affection, our affections in particular toward God and his word and the like. And so we're, we're always measuring ourselves there. And the, the question that we're asking is, am I better? Are you better than you were a month ago or a year ago or three years ago? And the implication is if you're not doing better than you were, then something is terribly wrong and you need to be really right. concerned about your spiritual state. And I think we're going to go here in a number of different ways, I'm sure, it's just very unrealistic, and it's not the way that the Christian life unfolds for us as we live as fallen people in a fallen world. Take depression or anxiety or addiction or any of these things that we are struggling with on the regular. We'll, we'll go through seasons in our lives. I mean, we might have seasons where the, the struggle is not as intense, and the Lord has given a lot of grace, and we aren't even that aware of the temptation or we're not even that aware of the darkness or whatever it may be. And we're doing pretty well, but right. then there are going to be other seasons where it absolutely jumps on us like that 400 pound gorilla. And we think, yeah. my goodness. And it, it comes out of nowhere. Sometimes you may be doing well today with respect to the, the state of your heart and mind. And you're thinking, man, I'm, I'm doing pretty well with respect to depression. I haven't been in the throes of it in a while. And that does not mean brother or sister that in five years or 10 years or 30 years, as you continue to trust Christ, that it will not rear its head again and be crippling perhaps. And so yeah. there's a, a lot of damage and harm that comes from this. It sets unrealistic expectations for the Christian, and obviously it, it robs us of peace and comfort and assurance because we're, we're always looking to ourselves and assessing our progress. And yeah. anybody who's sane and self-aware is going to realize that there is a ton of failure mixed in with the successes. Absolutely. Yeah, and even as we think about the, the everydayness of the Christian life, so to the listener right now who perhaps feels a little bit you know rubbed against as as we're speaking this way maybe you are going through a particular time in your life where you feel like uh your prayer life is rich and your scripture intake is rich and um your and praise quote, god unquote, for that affection, yeah your affections for god are are rich and and exactly justin what what we want to do is encourage that and say that is 
that is great. And and praise the Lord that you you feel these ways, you're thinking these ways. I mean, certainly as we look at the entire book of Psalms, I you know, I saw a meme the other day that it was it was like sometimes David is is like, I, I am just okay. And then the next day David is like, No, I'm not, I'm just kidding. You know, and, and certainly <laughs> the book of Psalms is encouraging because as we look at the life of David, as, as it's expressed in the Psalms, there are days where he is asking, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Why have you turned your right. face from me? Uh, you know, my, my tears have been my food and I've soaked my couch and in my tears and, and, and so on and so forth. But then there are days that he is like, I am ready to go to the nations and, and declare your glories among them. Like, let's go. And what we're trying to say is that there is such a spectrum in the normal everyday Christian life that, you know, Lord willing, by God's grace and his kindness and mercy toward you, his, the light of his countenance will be toward you. And, and you will perhaps even have some sort of feeling of that. But there will also be days that you will feel the, the real struggle of your own frame. And so I think in all of this, what we are seeking to point to is that we as Christians are far more fragile than we think. We are far more are. fickle than we think, and we are far more weak than we think. And triumphalism, or the victorious Christian life, often doesn't give room for that. Yeah, I think your illustration with David is is a great example of that. I think towards the end of his life, you wouldn't say he lived the victorious Christian life. <laughs> he lived yeah, in a right. lot of... Uh, he lived, it was horrible just watching his own children and what they did to each other and just to even his own heart and his own soul. One of the things that happens when you live in this triumphalism culture is that your your level of joy and your level of assurance is going to rise and fall based upon you. It's a highly individualized system. It's focused in on you. So right. when you approach God and your relationship to him, you are always introspective. I know it's maybe a, a drum. If you're new to Theocast, it's going to be new yeah. to you. If they've been around Theocast for a while, you're going to, this is a little bit of a repeat. And, and we do this often to remind ourselves that we need to be reminded, don't, don't be so introspective, but we do. We, yeah. we view the Christian life. And now look, I'm going to be, I'm going to be totally frank with every single listener. And I know both you guys are going to agree. If you were to look at John Moffat, 20 years ago, I would be a much different man than I am today. And there's many reasons why. Not all of it is because right. I've been in the word. A lot of it's because I've had been beat down. I've gone through sorrow. I've gone through loss. I've gone right. through pain. And God has used and suffering. Right. Uh, but the thing is, I don't, I, I know I'm a better man. I know that I've made better decisions, uh, but I, I can't say that my life is one of triumph. I have a lot of failures from from back then i've had a lot of sin struggles right. from from back then till today and the thing that has motivated me to continue to find joy and the thing that's motivated me to continue to find assurance is to not be introspective to not look at myself but to look outside of myself because what does right. paul say in second corinthians three eighteen and following down to four four is that when we look at the glory of god in the face of jesus christ that is when we are transformed mm -hmm into glory from one degree of glory to the next, meaning that right. Paul isn't pointing the believer inward to look at the trajectory of their life. He's pointing them out and up. He does this in Colossians, right? The end of Colossians uh, 2, he says, all of these outward ways that you're trying to control your body, 
there uh, he even mentions asceticism. He says there have no value of stopping the, uh, the the indulgence of the right. flesh. Where does he point you? Up to Christ. Focus your attention on Jesus Christ. So triumphalism mm-hmm. is inward. What are you doing and how do you make yourself better? And here are the steps. And we would say the biblical call and the even the confessional call is to point yourself out, mm-hmm. extra nos, away right. from yourself to something that is greater that pulls you. We completely agree here at Theocast. I want to reiterate so that we're not misunderstood that transformation of life is real and that everybody whom the Lord has justified in Christ Jesus, he will sanctify. And at the same time, we want to be crystal clear that sanctification and the transformation of life is a community project. It is a corporate reality. So one that of the is problems such a big with, point, Justin, it, and it's a huge yeah, point yeah. that people just it, we say that, and I, and I don't think people really feel what we're saying there, but it's huge, right? Sure, no, Absolutely. it's massive. I mean, when we when we read the New Testament, we have to remember that take the epistles because this is where we often will go. the The epistles, all of them, basically are written to congregations, with the exception of the pastoral epistles that are written essentially to churches through the pastor. Right. So they're all written into a corporate reality. And if we think about the things that are, that are described in the New Testament with respect to the transformation of life, they are all taking place most pointedly within the context of the community called the church. And so it is not this hyper individualistic journey and process that you're on. It is on, you're on a journey with your brothers and sisters in the church. And so you're, you're looking to Christ, like you said, John. 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, most pointedly there, describe that reality, that as we behold Christ, we're changed. But as we live life in the church, we're changed. And so not only are we looking outside of ourselves to Christ, extra nos, for our justification, our standing before the Lord, we live an outwardly oriented life where we are concerned with the good of our brothers and sisters and the good of our neighbor. And it's in that way that we are transformed and changed most fundamentally and most effectively. When we Naval gaze, we use that that term a lot when we are hyper introspective and we're always focusing on ourselves and our performance and our progress. It actually is a great hindrance to our sanctification. We we don't grow as we should, and we often are just blind to many of the realities that exist. Were we to take our gaze off of ourselves and fix it on Christ and our brothers and sisters and our neighbor, as God has intended? It would be much better for us, and as John, you've pointed out already, brother, in that approach, there is peace and rest and assurance because we're looking outside of ourselves, and the Lord does his sanctifying work in us as we look to Christ and as we live in the church. So like, we can't beat that drum hard enough that we're all for the transformation of life, but it is a corporate reality. It is not an individual pursuit. Right. And and even, let's just be clear about something. We do believe that victory exists in the Christian life. And what we believe about that is that victory exists in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That that <laughs> ultimately word. Christ is ultimately victorious. Christ is victorious. Uh, and so that is what we are arguing to look toward is the victory is not so much found in the increased goodness and sanctification of yourself. But the victory right. is found in your status that you are a forgiven, sin-sick wretch uh, sitting under the banner of the victory of Christ. The other thing right. that is helpful to remember 
is what what we call or what has not necessarily we call but what has been known as you know simul justus et peccator that we are both simultaneously saint and sinner uh that as we think about the christian life it, we live in a constant tension of romans chapter 7 and romans chapter 8 that we naturally wake up in a romans 7 world that we struggle with our flesh we struggle with sin we struggle with things that uh, we never thought we'd struggle with, but we are constantly looking to the Romans 8 realities that there is no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. Uh, and so I, I think you guys might speak to this a little bit more later, but the the simul life, you know, simultaneously saint and sinner, that has been a very helpful category for myself, even as I think yeah, about sure. the everyday Christian life. Yeah. No, just to add to that, Jimmy, I would say, you know, I'm going to throw, um, this is this is my role at uh, Theocast is to keep you guys on your toes. Short hops. Ground ball. Here we go. <laughs> oh, yeah. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. So we have in Scripture, I know if there's someone new to Theocast and they're from a you know conservative, reformed, or even Calvinistic background, they're yelling at their phone or their car speaker right now, but guys, 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 the Bible clearly says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that for those who are in Christ, they're a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new, right? The whole put off, put on. Put off the old man, put on the new man. Well, there seems to be Paul saying that there is a trajectory where we are focusing on putting off the old man, and that we are living in this new nature that we have. And the new nature provides us the ability to be progressing in our sanctification. So it sounds like you guys are ignoring these verses that the reality you're describing is not the reality that I'm reading in the New Testament. And how would you to reply to such accusations? That was a real question. Go, I mean, go ahead. I mean, go ahead, Jake. <laughs> no, I think. Okay, I, I think Jimmy and I are being deferential to each other. So we very much, obviously, <laughs> sure. So the same apostle who wrote Second Corinthians five seventeen wrote Romans seven. Right. So what we're trying to do is hold these things in appropriate tension and, and have a theology that incorporates all of of the Bible, but even even all of the Apostle Paul's theology. And it is entirely right and true that in Christ Jesus, we are a new creation. We have been regenerated by the spirit of God. We have been circumcised, not by a circumcision that is made with hands or, or done in the flesh, but we have been circumcised of heart with the circumcision of Christ. You know, and so we have been raised to walk in newness of life and to walk in the good works that have been prepared beforehand for us to do. All of those things are entirely true. And there will be this transformation of life that we've already alluded to multiple times. There will be change. We will look at ourselves. John, you described your own life. I'm different than I was 20 years ago. I mean, brother, so am I. My goodness. Myself is a, you know, in my, my 17, 18 year old me versus me now in my later 30s. There is a world of difference. There's a world of difference from 10 years ago. So we, I am in no way saying don't, don't pan back and look at your life and praise God for what he's done. Of course we do. And at the same time, we acknowledge that we are not yet fully sanctified. We are not yet glorified. We will know complete victory over sin, and we will know only righteousness in our experience at the resurrection, but not until then. Right. And so that's what we're trying to say. And Paul is crystal clear. Jimmy, you mentioned Romans seven, Romans eight. I mean, even if we think Romans six, we, we think about our new identity in Romans six, yeah. our new war in Romans seven, our new hope in Romans eight. 
right? I mean, so that's the the world that we live in. And that's all we're trying to point out here is that so often the focus, we're just trying to press back biblically with a more, we think, balanced, dare I say, dare I use that word, balanced approach Mm -hmm. to say, look, we can't just talk about transformation. We can't just talk about victory. We can't just talk about overcoming. We can't just talk about the new nature. We've got to acknowledge that, that, like you said, Jimmy, the the simultaneous reality of new nature, saint, right? Old man. We we are not resurrected and fully sanctified yet. Those are both characteristic of our reality, right? So. Yeah. We are excited to announce that we have a new free ebook available at our website called Faith Versus Faithfulness, a primer on rest. And we, the host, put this together to explain the difference between emphasizing one's faith in Christ versus emphasizing one's faithfulness to Christ and how one leads to rest, and how the other often to a lack of assurance. And you can get this at theocast.org primer. And if you've been encouraged by what you've been hearing at Theocast, we'd ask you to help partner with us. You can do that by joining our Total Access membership. That's our monthly membership that gives you access to all of our material that we've produced over the last four years, or simply by donating to our ministry. And you can do that by going to our website, theocast.org. We hope that you enjoy the rest of the conversation. Yeah, as we as we look at sanctification, we we do recognize that there is a progressive nature to it. But something I think we also need to remember is that there is a definite nature of sanctification that we are set apart by God in Christ. Right. And and so one of the things we we wrote about this in our our primer on on rest is that when we think about the corporate realities of church life or or even the individual realities of church life is often when the emphasis is the victorious Christian life or triumphalism, the gospel all of a sudden shifts to the background that the good news that right. of what of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf moves to the background, and then what moves to the foreground is life transformation and uh i I'm going to kind of poke at something, and I'm sure people are going to get really upset. But, I mean, think about the modern evangelical way of sharing testimonies. What is, what is the focus? Oh, man. Jesus changed my life. Uh-oh. Or Jesus, Jesus transformed my life. And mm. I'm not against that. But you better not regress where you are right now. Oh, boy. Otherwise, Jesus oh, boy, didn't right. change your life. Mm. Um. And I'm also going to say something that's probably going to blow people's minds, and we'll get another email about antinomianism. My worst <laughs> yes. and most heinous sins, guys, committed <laughs> were, have been committed after I, I became a Christian. Oh, yeah, of course. Think about sure. that. So, yeah. like, I have sinned against my wife and others in ways that when I was a teenager, when I first became a believer, I have sinned against my wife and others in ways that if you would have told me when I was a teenager, I would have ran from you in fear and said, there's no way I'd ever do that. There's absolutely no way I'd ever do that. But here I stand, (laughs) and I can say no other, that my my nature to sin, my propensity to sin is great. It is unbelievable. I Something I like to say to our church all the time is, we are experts in sin. We We are so good at it. We are just naturally good at it. And so what we're trying to say is when the progress of the Christian life moves to the foreground, it is going to wreck you when you struggle. It is going to wreck you 
when you sin because you have it in your brain that, well, my testimony is that Jesus changed my life. And if I regress anything lower than that standard of that day when I gave my testimony, you're going to find yourself in a heap of trouble because you're going to begin to question everything. And I I know, John, you wanted to jump in here, so I'll, I'll defer to you. Jimmy, that is super insightful and very helpful because it's true. If if you were saved as a young right. child, as I was, then you <laughs> your worst struggles are ahead of you. I mean, I was I was saved before I really hit into. I was twelve, so th- my my greatest deepest struggles hadn't even happened yet, even just from a natural right. standpoint. And then if you are come from a drug background and you are a partier, and all of a sudden you don't you not you're not there, you can have a false sense of assurance. And you can even have a false sense of I'm good with God because at least I'm not sleeping around doing drugs anymore. And you always look to what you're not doing to find your assurance when that's that's just very dangerous. It's very obvious that Christians are going to struggle because how many times in Scripture, we have just as many as when it says you're a new creation, which I'm gonna, I am gonna want to reference that real quick, to Paul's warnings about Galatians 6.1, those who are trapped in sin, all the warnings in Ephesians 4 and following right. about the, the battle and struggle against sin that you're going to have within the internal battle that you're going well, to have. Of and, course, we always And church discipline seven. exists for a reason, too. Yeah, yeah, it has to exist. So th- this is all true. But even going back to 2 Corinthians where it says you're a new creation, what Paul is saying there is that there's you are a new type of person that has never existed within, right. the, the, within the humanity. Before now, we had people who are depraved, fallen under under the the curse of Adam. And now there's a whole new type of person. And this type of person is still uh, living within, within a body that is depraved, that's fallen and sinful, but has the spirit to give it power to have a belief and not be trapped to sin. He is not saying right. your new creation means you shouldn't struggle with sin anymore. This is what triumphalism's biggest lie is that over time, the battle against sin goes away. And I right. cannot tell you how many times I've had to sit down with individuals and say, you are going to fight sin for the rest of your life. It, you will never get to a right. moment where sin will no longer be tempting to you. That That is just right. not a reality. Even for the, no. the New Testament doesn't give us that a reality. That's, that is the lie of triumphalism. That's so damaging. And I think to your point, I've said this so many times in the context of our church, the, the impression that people are given, John, you just, you know, the battle with sin will go away, or I would maybe even nuance that a little bit and say, sometimes the presentation is, well, the battle with sin will always be there, but it will get a lot easier. Like you, you will be victorious over it. And that, that won't be as hard to do as you mature in the faith versus where you are now in your more infantile state. And that's just flat out untrue. It's patently false on the face of it. Because there are going to be times in our lives where the battle gets, if anything, more intense as we grow. And, and that's, that ebbs and flows season by season. I want to pick up on something else that you said, though, too, John, where we are, we're putting our confidence, oftentimes in a triumphalistic framework, we're putting our confidence most fundamentally in our own transformation of life rather than placing our confidence in the finished work of Christ in our place. We, we constantly are are looking to how we've changed, you know, as the, the ground of our confidence and like, how do I really, it's like, yeah, okay, you're safe in Christ, but how do you really know 
that you're going to be in heaven? How do you really know? You know, that, that you're legit. Well, it's because you have adequate and sufficient transformation of life to look to right. and to fall back on. You know, and, and I think this is just a public service announcement for everybody. I try to do this about once a month in our own church. If lest we think that we're crushing it in the Christian life, and lest we think that that we really are on this just super like soaring upward trajectory and we're just doing great. Let's just consider the great commandment from the words of our Lord that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. <laughs> Assess that honestly in light of your life the last 10 minutes, let alone the last week. And give it, give it 30 seconds of thought, and then I think we all, if, if we rightly understand our minds and hearts, we would be like prostrate on the floor before the Lord, like, Father, forgive me, because I have not loved you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength for one second of, of my sin-sick life. You know, and so we are always, even in our quote unquote best moments as we perceive them, we're naive and deluded, right? When we think we're doing that great. In our best moments, we are always debtors to grace and we are always looking to Christ because we have nowhere to stand. Even in our, even in our transformed lives, there is no ground to stand on to say that is, that is legit. Only Jesus is legit. And there will be real transformation that we can look to and have our assurance bolstered as we see the work of his spirit in our lives. But my goodness, yeah. man, like we, we just need to be more realistic in our assessment of ourselves in light of what God requires, and nobody right. meets the standard. That's right. You know, in Scripture, we do have promises of how the body or how we are to be transformed. Paul very pointedly says in Ephesians chapter 4 that when the body functions properly, it builds itself up in love. And you will see that the believer within the New Testament is pushed into a uh, corporate reality, a, a body of believers, where you have people who are teachers, you have people that are gifted with giving and, and love. There's so many gifts. And when, when we approach the Christian life this way, what we're doing is we're reaching out and grasping onto something that is pulling us towards Christ. We are not pushing right. ourselves to Christ. You know, here's a great example of this. So in the triumphalist system, the focus is always you getting better. It's, it's just like anybody who's working out. They, 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 they adjust their entire life. If someone who's trying to become fit, the way they eat, the way they sleep, how they work out, when they work out, their entire life is focused in on that so they can accomplish that goal. And then we think this is how it works in the Christian life. The way in which you do everything spiritually, you're going to build yourself up. But it just doesn't work like that. Uh, growth within the Christianity is a community event. It's always been that way. And that's how the, the New Testament pushes us. Let me give you an illustration here that I used for my church this last Sunday. I preached a sermon called, what is, well, it's not really a preach a sermon. <laughs> I shared some truths. How do you preach a sermon to a camera? You know? That's just my opinion. You don't. So yeah. I share I agree, some man. truths. You don't. <laughs> I share Preaching some is a corporate reality. I shared some right. to, I, I shared some truths to my DSL friend. Uh, and what I told what I told him was <laughs> when you read your if you were going to say, All right, I want to consume God's word, or I, we're as a church are going to consume God's word, and you start from the beginning to the end and just let God's word be be read over you. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but 95% of God's word is narrative and descriptive, describing how God accomplished redemption. 
through all kinds of crazy stories of death, magic, um, people coming back to life. It's just this, the most incredible gnarly ride from the beginning to the end. Then you get to the New Testament, and in the epistles, there are some very important instructions. You have some instructions. You have the Old Testament law that's still applicable to us, but if you've ever read those commands, you can read them in very, like, just word count. They're really small. It's not, the law doesn't take up a lot of a lot of word counts, and some of the law applies to us, lying, stealing, cheating, all that kind of stuff. When it comes to the New Testament, you're looking at 3 to 5% of the New Testament is for you to read and obey. You know, there are instructions in there for you for what you should be doing, meaning the majority of your experience with God in his word to you is not focused on what you should be doing. It's focused on what God did to keep his promise. It's causing you to look outside of yourself to God and his faithfulness. Point being, do you know the the narrative of the Bible? Humans fail, God succeeds. <laughs> and yet we try and read the Bible and say, I need to be better. And then we even try and take guys like Daniel or David and use them as examples for our triumphal Christian lives. And yet those guys are failures. In the story of the Bible is where men have always failed, starting with Adam, where Adam should have sought wisdom from God. Eve receives the fruit, tempted by Satan. Adam should have took that, walked right over to God and said, what do I do here? Instead, Adam sought his own wisdom to be equal with God. And from that moment on, we have done the same. Yeah. So th- there is an order to the text is, is kind of what you're saying, John. Um, right. I mean, even as you consider, I mean, we can we don't even have to look at the New Testament. Let's look at the Old Testament. Even as we consider the Exodus 19. What you have in Exodus 19 is God who has brought his people out of Egypt. And this is something that has been so helpful for me, is redemption always precedes commandment. Redemption always precedes commandment. That when when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, he reminds them of these indicative truths of himself, that he he is the one who has saved them. He is the one who has born them on eagle's wings, so to speak. And and then he says, now, if you will do this. And, and so even in the Old Testament, we see what you're saying, John, that that God always begins with indicative truths of himself, that this is who I am. Uh, I believe it's Psalm 3, that salvation belongs to the Lord, right? And so as as we look at the Bible, it is it's interesting to take the approach that it is a manual for us to execute a victorious Christian life. Because if it's a mm-hmm. manual, well, certainly it's a silly manual, right? <laughs> I mean, right. I, I don't know. I, I just don't want to insult God's intelligence that he could have wrote a better manual. But <laughs> but really what it is, is it's a grand narrative of, of redemption. And so right. here again, clearly, as we begin to wrap things up here, what we're not saying is that transformation in the Christian life does not exist. No, it does. But it exists within the greater narrative of the Bible that salvation belongs to the Lord, right? Right. That the victory always is in Christ and Christ alone, right? And that God is the one who does the transforming work in and through us. We don't do it ourselves. And so, to kind of wrap up with this thought of victory, we've we've described triumphalism in the terms of the victorious Christian life. We've already talked about how Christ Jesus is the victorious one. 
And so I think we would all be helped if we would just redefine what we understand victory to even be in the Christian life day to day. Victory in the Christian life is most often described in terms of, if not complete, almost complete deliverance from sin. And if not perfect, almost perfect affections and thoughts and the like. Well, that's that's unhelpful. And I think we've we've already depicted how that's bondage and slavery and and it's something that that we will never achieve in in this life just because of the fact that we still are fallen. But if we could redefine victory in these terms, that victorious Christian living is continually taking our sin and our struggles and our shame to Christ in faith, mm. right? Mm. And relying upon the Holy Spirit of God to do his transforming work in our lives, remembering that Jesus, like Jimmy, you were talking about the definite aspect of sanctification. Hebrews ten fourteen is a favorite verse of mine for a reason, where we're told that Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. If we would remember that perspective. And so what do I do, brother? You, you trust Christ, you rely upon the Spirit, you live life in the context of the local church, and you, you wake up again tomorrow, should the Lord give you life, and you do that again the next day. You, you confess sin to the Lord, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And you pray you know, that, that God would give you grace, that you might not sin. You know, and we just continue to do that. It, there's nothing magical to it. You know, It's going to be up and down, it's going to ebb and flow. And praise God that Jesus Christ is victorious and that he's our righteousness always on our best Amen. day or our worst day. You know, so th- that's, a more, that's a more victorious approach to, to living the Christian life and, and redefining victory is a piece of that. Yeah. Well, this would be fun. We're going to go over to our members podcast. For those of you that don't know what that is, it's a simple way for us to help support what we're doing here at Theocast. Uh, we are trying to produce audios, two different podcasts. We try to produce uh, transcripts and books. And all of this costs money. And the way that uh, we found that it's most helpful is to provide extra content for those donors who can support us on a monthly basis or on a yearly basis. So if you go over to Theocast.org, you can learn more about our membership. We do an extra podcast. And to be frank, it gets pretty spicy over there. This is kind of where we uh, walk into the back room and uh, take our shoes off and and uh, have a little more fun. So we'll see. For those of you who are members, if you want to come check it out, there's a 14-day free trial. We encourage you to come check it out. We'll see you over there.